nights. Welcome to Overnight Opinions, the weekly show brought to you by the Ladies Love Politics channel. Here you'll learn about everything that the mainstream media didn't tell you about last week. You'll get a blend of current events and spicy criticism directed towards our elected leaders. It's late, you're awake, so let's get started. For tonight's Overnight Opinion, we're going to answer the question, is the root cause of school massacres hiding in plain sight? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. The very first school massacre occurred when the United States was in its colonial days in 1764, more than a decade before the United States would declare its independence from Britain. But this school massacre didn't involve an assault rifle, a white supremacist, or even a gun. At the time, the Pontiac Wars were underway. Chief Pontiac was leading a group of American Indians in a fight against the British. One summer day, four Native American Indians walked into a Pennsylvania schoolhouse. The teacher begged for them to leave the children alone. Instead, the four warriors clubbed and scalped the teacher and 11 students. One student managed to escape and tell what happened. The warriors returned to their village along the Muskingum River in Ohio. The chief then shamed them for harming women and children. It would be nearly another century before the United States would get its next school killing. In Louisville, Kentucky, a boy brought a pistol to school, shooting the headmaster at point-blank range in front of other students. The reason? The headmaster excessively punished his brother, and so began the trend of angry boys with a grievance taking out their version of justice on a school. Several decades later, in 1891, the first school mass shooting where students were shot happened in Newburgh, New York, when a 70-year-old man fired a shotgun at kids on the playground. Random shootings would continue, but it wouldn't be until the mid to late 20th century that things would really start to pick up. So how many school shootings have there been throughout U.S. history and what qualifies as one? Well, that all depends on who you ask and how you count the bodies. Mass shootings are incredibly rare. They make up less than 1% of the nearly 40,000 annual gun deaths. In fact, more than half of all gun deaths are by suicide. So your biggest threat of becoming a victim of gun violence is yourself. As a result, and as macabre and gruesome as these school shootings may be, they do not provide the full essence and narrative, the picture of what gun violence is in this country. Nevertheless, every time there's a school shooting, it will whip massive hysteria into national media and our elected leaders, causing them to make reckless, knee-jerk reactions. In fact, Harvard Business School found that, quote, a single mass shooting leads to a 15% increase in the number of firearm bills introduced within a state in the year after a mass shooting. For a better idea of how many school shootings we've had in this country, let's take a look at Wikipedia for a jumping-off point. The list is pretty lengthy. From the first school shooting in the mid-1800s until 2000, they document 325 school shootings. But as we all know, Wikipedia is open source and not incredibly reliable, so let's narrow this list down a little bit more. Since Columbine in 1999, the Washington Post has been compiling a database of school shootings. They have tabulated 327 shootings that have killed more than 185 children and adults. An additional 369 have been injured. If you add up the population of these schools, they suggest that more than 311,000 children have experienced gun violence. According to them, the highest recorded year was 2021, which had 42 shootings. So far this year, they say that we've had 24 acts of gun violence in K-12 schools. 
It's important to note that their criteria for a school shooting is pretty conservative, including only incidents that happen on campuses immediately before, during, or just after classes, and pretty much everything else is excluded. But then again, these numbers change depending on who you ask and how they count. NPR is reporting a different number. This figure comes from an organization called EdWeek, and they've been tabulating school shootings since just 2018. For 2021, they say there were 34 shootings. So far this year, they say there's been 27 school shootings. But EdWeek is more liberal than Washington Post. In fact, they expand on their criteria and include things like anytime a firearm is merely discharged, incidents that occur on a school bus, or incidents that occur during a school-sponsored event. If you look at the database compiled by the Naval Postgraduate School Center for Homeland Defense and Security, you get another set of numbers. They conclude that there have been 249 shootings in 2021. They also say there's been 148 so far this year. In fact, they say there's been nine since the Uvalde shooting, and I bet you've never even heard of those in the news. But their criteria is much looser. It includes things like any time a gun is merely brandished or fired or a bullet hits school property for any reason, regardless of the number of victims. It also doesn't matter what time of day, of the week, or reason that the shooting happened. But who is right? Wikipedia, The Washington Post, Ed Week, the Postgraduate Naval School? Perhaps you think we could check with the government for their figures. You'd be wrong. The federal government does not track school shootings in this country. Why, you may ask? Well, our elected leaders are nothing but a bunch of with IQs and single digits. Why do politicians feel the need to open their mouth every time there's a school shooting, but yet they have no idea how big the problem actually is? But I digress. Let's move on. Although what we count as a school shooting remains ambiguous, it's clear what doesn't work when it comes to preventing them. First, gun-free zones. The Gun-Free Zone Act was passed in the 90s. It was struck down by the court, and then it was revived with amendments. Today, in conjunction with federal and state law, most people are barred from possessing a firearm on or near school property. Rare exceptions are made, however, like providing discretion for armed employees to school boards. The Rand Corporation found no qualifying studies showing that gun-free zones increased or decreased gun use outcomes. They noted that while gun-free zones can be used to ensure that fewer or no guns are present in the location, they can also serve as a more attractive target to violent criminals or mass shooters because perpetrators will be less likely to encounter armed resistance in these areas. In addition, the Crime Prevention Research Center has found that 94% of mass public shootings since 1950 occurred in gun-free zones. Secondly, unless we have a time machine and can go back before guns existed, criminals will always find a way to get their guns. The Uvalde shooter bought his. Adam Lanza from Sandy Hook, well, he shot his mother and took her guns. And Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold from Columbine High, they got an 18-year-old friend to buy theirs for them. Every time you pass a law, someone will find a loophole around it. And for criminals, they can't find a loophole, they'll just do what Adam Lanza did, and they'll shoot someone like he did his mother and take her firearms. Thirdly, while guns get a bad rap after school shootings, getting rid of them is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, according to the CDC by a report initiated by President Obama. Firearms prevent three million crimes a year. That's more than 8,000 crimes every single day. Fourth, gun activists say that the Second Amendment was drafted in a time before bullets and high-powered guns, 
Therefore, the right to bear arms should be limited to what we had available in 1776. Sure, what they refer to as military-like or assault rifles didn't exist in 1776. However, they only make up 3% of all firearm murders, so getting rid of them will only have a negligible effect, and that's assuming criminals will comply with the law and buy a government-approved gun for your murder. The Uvalde shooter killed 19 children in cold blood. Do you really think he would have skipped the whole plan if he only had a handgun? Even if banning assault weapons would eliminate this 3% of shootings, what makes you think criminals wouldn't strike back with even more gruesome weapons? Early on in the 20th century, school shootings were pretty rare, but some of their most violent attacks were arson and explosions. Fast forward to today, and people still kill people with antiquated weapons. And we can see how things might play out if we instituted stricter gun laws. For instance, according to the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime, firearms account for 76% of homicide weapons in the Americas, while knives make up just 10% of those crimes. However, in Europe, guns are involved in 36% of murders and knives are involved in 43%. Think school shooters who are bloodthirsty to kill children won't do so with knives if they can't get a gun? Guess what? Americans still love slicing people. In 2020, knives were the third leading cause of murder in the U.S. Finally, strict gun laws don't seem to be working. So why would they all of a sudden be effective on school shootings? Illinois has tough gun laws. It's one of seven states that require licenses or permits to buy any firearm, and it's one of five states that requires waiting periods. In addition, Chicago's Cook County has an assault weapons ban. That being said, Chicago has had a gruesome amount of shootings and murders over the years. More than 1,000 people were killed by guns just last year. If assault weapon bans and stricter gun laws are the answer to school shootings, wouldn't we see a much safer Chicago? Same with New York City. They have tough gun laws, but their crime rates have soared since the pandemic. Violence will always find a home where people cannot defend themselves. This leads me to part two. Why are young men shooting up kids in public schools? For the answer to that, be sure to tune in next week to Overnight Opinions. Seven days, six nights. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky has issued a warning about Pfizer's COVID-19 pill, saying that if you take the medication, quote, you might get symptoms again. This rebound happens anywhere from two to eight days after someone recovers from the virus. The CDC still says that the benefits of Paxlovid outweigh the risks of COVID-19. Food costs have increased by nearly 9%, but we are likely only in the beginning phase of soaring food prices. When farming prices rise, there's typically an 18-month delay before that's reflected in food prices at the grocery store. That's bad news as we hit the 18-month mark. Since the end of 2020, diesel has more than doubled and fertilizer has more than tripled. Florida is launching a civilian force to help the state respond to emergencies. The original Florida State Guard was dissolved after World War II. However, Governor Ron DeSantis has pointed out that other states have similar forces. The new force will be made up of 400 members and have a $10 million annual budget. Democrats are saying it is a vigilante militia or secret police. 
Turkey President Erdogan announced a special operation aimed at clearing terrorist elements from Syria. President Erdogan says that they will be establishing a 30-kilometer security zone along the southern border, as well as spreading out into other areas in northern Syria. White House is considering sending Ukraine four advanced drones with Hellfire missiles. This comes just days after Biden pledged in a New York Times op-ed that the U.S. would not give Ukraine weapons that would be used deep inside Russian territory. However, these Gray Eagle drones would do just that. They weigh nearly 100 pounds and can carry up to four 49-pound laser-guided smart micro-bombs. They are 28 feet long and fly for more than 40 hours, reaching speeds of more than 170 miles per hour. Dominion voting systems used in 16 states are vulnerable to hacking. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency is warning state election officials about the weaknesses they found and encouraging them to safeguard the systems. The agency says there's no evidence anything has been exploited so far. However, they say, quote, one of the most serious vulnerabilities could allow malicious code to be spread from the election management system to machines throughout a jurisdiction. President Zelensky says that one-fifth of Ukraine, nearly 125,000 square kilometers, is under control by Russia. He also says that fighting between Russia and Ukraine is stretched out over more than 1,000 kilometers. From Hill to House Two Republican lawmakers have announced that they are open to a ban on assault weapons. Representative Adam Kinzinger says that, quote, I'm getting to the point where I have to wonder, maybe somebody to own one, maybe you need an extra license, maybe you need extra training. During a press conference on the Buffalo shooting, New York Representative Chris Jacobs said, quote, an assault weapons ban bill came to the floor that would ban something like an AR-15, I would vote for it. Meanwhile, a bipartisan group of senators recently formed to further gun control measures, including expanding background checks and red flag laws. Health and Human Services is creating the Office of Environmental Justice. The agency will be accepting comment on the new division's implementation until June 18th. The impetus for this new department was created by an executive order from President Biden last year. They said what? Dr. Fauci made waves on Fox News this past week regarding his comments on masking on public transportation. In April, a judge struck down the mask mandate for airplanes and other public transportation. Now, the Department of Justice is asking a federal appeals court to reverse this and allow the mask mandate to go into effect. When Fox News host Neil Cavuto asked Dr. Fauci about this, he gave a very 1984 answer. You know, one of the yeah, one of the issues, Neil, that I have I have articulated in the past, and I will in the future, it's less about mandates on the plane than it is about who has the right and the authority and the capability of making public health decisions. And I believe that the Department of Justice is operating on the principle that decisions that are public health decisions belong with the public health agency, in this case, the CDC. So it's more of a matter of principle of where the authority lies than it is about whether or not there's gonna be a mandate on a plane or not. <laughs> Pussies and Patriots. Former lawyer Michael Avenatti was sentenced to four years for stealing money from porn star Stormy Daniels. He was already serving a two and a half year sentence for defrauding Nike. 
The judge agreed to let him serve both sentences concurrently. Avenatti was a major critic of President Donald Trump and vigorously represented Stormy Daniels as she made claims about a one-time sexual tryst she had with Trump. He was beloved by all the left-wing media and even hailed as a potential future presidential candidate. However, before long, Avenatti's true colors started to show when he was accused of stealing $300,000 from his former client, Stormy Daniels, book deal. While Avenatti was making the rounds on cable news, he even appeared on Tucker Carlson's show. Hilariously, the banner they used for Avenatti during the interview was, Tucker takes on creepy porn lawyer. I guess now we can call him a creepy felon porn lawyer. For being a hypocrite, a liar, and so desperate that you had to steal money from a porn star, Michael Avenatti, you were one big, bald pussy. Senator Ron Johnson has been accused of using taxpayer dollars to pay for trips to fly back and forth between Washington, D.C. and his vacation home in Florida. According to federal records, Senator Johnson took 19 trips from 2013 to 2021. This is estimated to have cost anywhere from five dollars to $18,000. Senator Johnson's spokesperson says that these allegations are nothing more than a political smear by the media and the Democrat Party. Senator Johnson has a net worth of more than $16 million. The Democratic Senate candidate in Kentucky just released a jarring campaign video. In it, he accuses current U.S. Senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul, of blocking an anti-lynching bill. During the ad, Booker is seen standing in front of a tree with a noose around his neck. The only problem here is that the ad lacks context. Senator Paul did block a 2020 version of the bill, saying that it needed to be stronger. Senator Paul explained his reasoning at the time, stating, quote, I don't think it's a good idea to conflate someone who has an altercation where they had minor bruises with lynching. We think that's a disservice to those who were lynched in our history who continue to have, we continue to have these problems. And I think it's a disservice to have a new 10-year penalty for people who have minor bruising. We've tried to exclude that part of the bill, and we've been working with the authors to try and make the bill better. The bill was changed and reintroduced in 2022, which did get Senator Paul's support and allowed the legislation to pass. Booker is the first African-American to receive the Democratic nomination for Senate in Kentucky. Senator Paul has raised nearly six times as much money and has more than 17 times the amount of cash on hand as Booker does. Kellyanne Conway's book, Here's the Deal, is a total flop. It sold just 25,000 copies in its debut week and only reached 126 on Amazon's bestseller list. In comparison, President Trump's niece, Mary Trump, and former First Lady Michelle Obama sold over a million copies during their debut week of their books. And now, numbers you need to know. A new study shows that 7 in 10 doctors are giving unnecessary antibiotics for asymptomatic infections. This goes against the conventional wisdom as multiple medical organizations warn against treating bacterial infections like UTIs if they don't show any symptoms. Moreover, the study found that family medicine providers were more likely to overprescribe than other specialties. This week's keyboard patriot is Shane Kinney. He commented on the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Facebook page regarding a bust they made. Shane said, quote, stealing his ideas to make your next siege be more lethal? With the skills and morals of your top ATF agents, you guys could hit a preschool hard. For serving it up fresh and sassy to the ATF, Shane has just won an Amazon gift card. Do you think you have a sassy or snarky comment you've posted on a government agency's social media page? Email the show and you might be the next winner. Remember, nothing violent, nothing threatening, just good old-fashioned trolling. Thanks for watching Overnight Opinions. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.